Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. I am halfway through my run of Chicago on Broadway playing Mama Morton. I'm having the time of my life. I'm practicing witchcraft in my day-to-day. That's not a surprise to you. But today, my guests are Risa and Amy from the Missing Witches podcast. And we are going to talk all about day-to-day practice, how you might be able to break into your own practice of witchcraft, misconceptions we've been fed throughout time, and reclaiming words like witch and witchcraft and magic, making sure that they have the positive connotation that we want them to have, and we are undoing the negative connotation that has been placed on them for centuries. All of that today and much, much more on a brand new episode of Hi Jinx. So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some brand new Hi Jinx. Hi, 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 Jinx, hi, Jinx. I haven't warmed up yet. Leave me alone. M. Oh. M. Mom. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by witches, artists, and activists, as well as the hosts of the Missing Witches podcast, it's Risa Dickens and Amy Tarak. Hi, Risa and Amy. Hi, Jinx. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> How are you two today? How's Quebec? Quebec sorry. sorry, Quebec. Quebec, Canada. she's sunny she's melting um i'm dying i love you so much i've never been so nervous for a podcast interview in my life my stomach is shaking i put on a like a bat wing cloak to give me power Perfect. (laughs) Well, I have been a guest on your podcast, The Missing Witches Podcast, um, which was brought into my life by my dear um, best friend and business manager, Kenneth Lee. Um, As most things in my life are brought to me by Kenny. Um, So Kenny and I went on your podcast. Um, It was one of the first times Kenny has done public speaking. (laughs) Um, uh, Why don't you tell my listeners what um, the Missing Witches podcast is all about? And then I'll, you know, throw in my own take afterward. (laughs) Right. So the Missing Witches podcast is something that sort of came to Risa in a dream. And mm. we had been hanging out and doing magic together. And she came to me with this idea to do a podcast about these stories that we were telling each other. Like, why don't we mm. share these stories that we're telling each other? Because the missing part of Missing Witches is that, you know, Risa and I, we both um, have higher education. We both have, you know, <laughs> postgraduate degrees. But We were coming across all of these names, people we had never heard of. We had heard of the men who surrounded Mm. them, but we had never heard of, like, for example, Pixie Coleman Smith, who did all of the illustrations for what was called the Rider Waite tarot deck. Mm. Well, her name wasn't even on it, so we'd never heard of it. So yeah, um, that sort of was the birth of the project, and then... It became so many other things. One of the most amazing things, like Risa said, is that we get to talk to people who are mind-blowing. Like, we we think of ourselves as not like gurus. Like, don't follow us. Just like, we're in the gutter here with you, trying to figure <laughs> out how to survive. And here's what we learned on that. But 
we do need to get some gushing out of the way before we talk any more about <laughs> our project, just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And we have talked about this on on our podcast. It's like how seen we felt for your choices in All Winner, <laughs> All Stars. Like, correct me if I'm missing one, but there was like a Burning Times look. Mm-hmm. There was a Persephone look. Mm-hmm. There was a Freya look and Mm -hmm. then you you claimed the the scepter in the name of Hecate and that for us was really emotional it was like a really amazing moment for the modern witch who takes it seriously who knows that it's not a fucking joke and that in many cases it's how you get to the crown you know you talk about (laughs) all the time therapy witchcraft and your community and that's sort of like Mm -hmm. what we're trying to excite in the world too I'm so glad it felt that way because you know along the way I had moments of like I don't want fellow witches out there you know I'm a comedian and a practicing witch and I feel like I'm always walking a tightrope between doing the self-deprecating humor I've always done while not trying to talk down about being a witch so that other witches don't think that I think there's anything wrong with me being a witch. However, Pam and I, Pam Grossman and I, um, who I know you two are acquainted with and my um, uh, listeners hear her name constantly. um, We were talking about, you know, witchcraft with a sense of humor and being, you know, being self-aware enough to know that because of the way witchcraft has been painted, because of the way witches have been demonized by society and men, <laughs> frankly, um, you got to have a little bit of a sense of humor about it because a lot of people are coming to witchcraft with preconceived notions, not all flattering, not all, <laughs> um, uh, very few are accurate. Um, and I got to say, when I claimed the crown in the name of Hecate, it was kind of like I had been so mushy about thanking everyone for the experience that I was like, what is something that I can say that will break the tension, be funny, but is also something that I believe in? And it came to me on the spot. I cra- I claim this in the name of Hecate, mother of witches. And in a way, I felt like I was becoming a champion for Hecate, you know, like in the old days when a queen would have a champion represent her. So, and I've seen the returns in my life, whether it's, whether it's mental and I'm creating it myself, or it really is the energy surrounding me. I tell you, um, I feel very powerful right now. Yeah. And there's so much power in the in the play, in the like not taking mm. yourself. Like Risa and I always say, you know, we take the work very seriously. We do not take ourselves very seriously. Yeah. And that's sort of the line for us. But RuPaul even says, like, laughter is the greatest spell you can cast. And I, I firmly believe that. And Rue doesn't self-identify as a witch, but Rue is very um inspired by the works of Marianne Williamson. And I think once you start taking on her teachings and her practices, you're, you're witchcraft adjacent, whether, whether you're intending it or not. Um, let me ask you both. When someone asks you what, what it means to be a witch, what is your response, your personal response? What it means to be a witch. Yeah, that one's tricky. I mean, I, I love the sleight of hand of the kind of witchcraft that you like embraced (laughs) in those moments, right? Because it's like, yeah, oh, let's all laugh. Let's all Mm. laugh at like at at how funny and playful this is. And also like watch as the space we take expands and Mm. watch as we see each other and like uh, in the intro to our first book, which you were so kind to write like a blurb that it still makes me weepy for Amanda Gates Garcia, the Oracle of LA. She said, witches recognize each other in a wink, like heating up, mm-hmm. heating up the baby's milk or like stir- stirring a spell into the coffee. Like we recognize each other and it's not necessarily in the aesthetics of witchcraft. Although I remember talking with you about mm. like the aesthetics, the fun <laughs> yeah. of it. 
But witchcraft for me is also something so private. Like, it's funny because mm-hmm. we end up talking about it so fucking much on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, like, my practice is private and playful, and it's an art practice, and it's an improvised practice. It's a practice of, like, getting to know my ancestors, including the ancestors that are my childhood self and my mm-hmm. future self. Like, it's a, it's a practice for me of, like, poetry, and I, I don't know, it's a it's so personal that it's hard for me to answer. My mom is one of these people who's like, do you have to use the word? Like, I like everything you're doing, but is the, like, are we really witches? You know? Yeah. Um, but I like it too. I like the fuck you of the word. Cause it's like, yeah. you have called us that for centuries. You have literally burnt and tortured us under the banner of this word. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the, yes, this is a witch hunt. I'm a witch and I am hunting you, you know, from the Me Too movement. (laughs) It's that, it's that claiming of it that I, that I love. Yes, to be a witch, to be a witch is transgressive. And then Mm -hmm. to claim that word on top of it, it's like a double transgression, which Mm we. Um, how long have each of you been practicing witchcraft in your life? Um, uh, I'll say for myself, I realized retrospectively, I've always been doing a little bit of practice, but same thing with my mom being, she is pulled away from the Catholic church drastically. And the word witch doesn't make her wince anymore me saying I'm a witch or practicing magic or when I say, oh, I was doing a spell. She's even tried some of the oils that I've made, you know? I have, I have, um, what is it, desensitized her to witchcraft over the years. And I've always referred to my aunt, my grandmother, and my mom, who were my three mothers. <laughs> I've always referred to them as three witches who didn't self-identify as witches. And now I'm thinking about it. I was raised by the mother, the maiden, and the crone. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really kind of amazing. (laughs) The weird sisters from Macbeth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, So I would say that it's been a lifelong practice, but I started self identifying in my mid twenties and now in my mid thirties, it's like every other word in my mouth is something about witchcraft. So how how about the two of you? I mean, I'll say really similar. Like so, and so many people in our coven say the same thing. Like looking back, they always knew. You know, like we yeah. always laugh about doing the light as a feather, stiff as a board. Like those moments when you were with a circle and you were just like teens and you were fucking full of, of teen magic, you know? like there yeah. were, like, you know, I had like candles dripping everywhere and I had altars to everything. And I lay in the dark and like wept listening to Billie Holiday. I mean, I was always, <laughs> that was always me. Um, and I think going through some like, you know, comparatively mild, but childhood trauma, um, I needed, I was hypersensitive and I needed that sense that I had some control over my environment. And that for me, I couldn't be a part of the church. The church, I, I I had had good experiences with it, but I as soon as I understood the torture of women and children, it was like there was no mm-hmm. way. I, there yeah. was no way back there for me, even though my priest was nice or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't enough. But um, yeah, I I started practice. I mean, yeah, I started practicing witchcraft in ways that I I just always did and so it was it was funny with Amy and I we started playing music together we both had run these different like wild ridiculous live shows in Montreal we both Mm -hmm. used to curate these insane shows we never knew each other we both did the monthly for years (laughs) and never met each other Uh, (laughs) in Montreal and then we met backstage at a show and we're immediately friends and started playing music to together in a way that was always healing and Mm -hmm. always had a kind of like screaming ritual (laughs) aspect to it. And then um, a friend died Mm. and uh, we didn't, we didn't have the tools that we needed to Mm. process that. Uh, They were like someone who had touched our lives a lot, but not close enough that we were felt like we were in the inner circle with their family. And it was just so hard to, tell that person 
what they had meant to us by then, you know? And so that's the first formalized moment. I remember we had gotten these books from the burn bin at the Salvation Army because a friend Mm -hmm. of mine, a friend of mine worked there and was like, they burn all the witch books. So I'm just going to start passing them to you. But we must Ah. have already identified as witches by then. But anyway, people ask us this. So we've had these different memories, but neither of us can really remember the first time we identified as the word witch. Sure. Sure. And for me, it, it, I don't remember not identifying as a witch. I remember, (laughs) honestly, like Mm -hmm. the first book I was allowed to pick out for myself. It's one of my first memories of like choosing this book with a little stick figure witch on a little stick figure broom. And and I think for me, the reason is because I didn't identify with the princess. I didn't identify with that Mm -hmm. sweet heroine waiting for the prince to come and save her. I identified with the creepy weirdo who lived in the woods and maybe did some baking, but like, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I've, I've become, I've become that crone in the woods. I, and, uh, you know, three-year-old me is ecstatic. Like, I don't, I don't remember not feeling like a witch all through school. Like when we started this project, so many people I went to high school with were like, I'm not the least bit surprised. This is exactly who you are and what you should be doing. So yeah, I think if if you like feel witchy, then you're a witch. And so for me, that's been always. I think one of the biggest things I learned in my adult life and in my practice is to let go of any preconceived notions. And I think that's what I also try to do as a witch for people who aren't witches to better understand, you know, um, that we've been fed a lot of stories about women our entire lives. We've been fed a lot of stories about witches. And I love the look on a person's face When I sit there and say, did you know that the reason why (laughs) witches are so demonized is because of capitalism and patriarchy? And then they're like, what do you mean? And then I sit there and I tell them about (laughs) witches were originally brewers, you know? So when men wanted to take over brewing beer, they found a way to kill the competition, literally. When men wanted to take over delivering babies, they found a way to kill the competition. It was more capitalism than anything. And um, I feel like anyone's surprised that capitalism is the root of all evil. But So that's something I love doing for people is like, hey, if you want to talk about this, wait until I tell you all the ways in which we've been fed a bunch of lies. And then that is how I have kind of broken down the stigma around the word, around the practice. And then the other way that I do is, you know, by explaining the benefits of witchcraft, if you look at it from a scientific point of view, like a psychology, philosophy, emotional point of view, when you think of the power that the human brain has, and you combine that with the practice of witchcraft, pragmatically, you can say to yourself, this can help because it's just another form of therapy. It's just another form of self-care. It just happens to have a name associated with it that we have been taught to fear. <laughs> and it yeah. also, it, in addition, it has that extra layer of above and beyond the science and the therapy, that extra layer of maybe, of yeah. possibility, of what knowledge yes. was burned in the library of Alexandria. Like, mm-hmm. we don't know tens and tens of thousands of years of human history that Western colonialism has been like, nope, not none of that's correct. No. <laughs> We're gonna start here with our with our our capitalism, like you say, you know. Mm-hmm. We always recommend wit- witches, midwives and nurses by um yeah. Barbara Ironreich and Deirdre English. And that was one of the projects that inspired us to take our collaborations further and further and really boosted us. The Great Cosmic Mother was written in collaboration by Barbara Moore and Monica Show. So we, and, and, and in fact, I got excited and bouncing. Listeners, I'm bouncing in my chair. Um, <laughs> Sylvia Federici took it even one step further to say that in the under this capitalist realm, 
The witch hunts served to make you question your neighbor. It was no more like, you know, mm -hmm. we we live in this space together. We help each other. I'll help you raise your bar and you help me raise mine. Now it's mm -hmm. like, uh-oh, Miss Monsoon's yeah. a witch. So we can't, <laughs> we can't trust our neighbors anymore. So uh, definitely like capitalism, we, we could go on and on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Capitalism, patriarchy. I don't think any of my listeners are surprised to hear my <laughs> stance on those topics. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I am a huge fan of the uh, the music group Twin Temple. Um, uh, Alexandra and Zachary James. Um, Alexandra self-identifies as a witch. Uh, they label their music as satanic doo-wop. <laughs> and it is precisely that. Now... Perfect. Because I was raised by some Catholics, because of the satanic panic of the 80s and early 90s, because anything having to do with Satan, the devil, Lucifer, any name we call him by, you know, is generally uh, uh, an uncomfortable topic. Uh, even if you are agnostic or atheist, you know, I know plenty of people who don't practice anything and still feel uncomfortable talking about the devil or saying things like hail Satan or making any kind of reference or joke about any of that. Now, when I listened to the music by Twin Temple, I was very reluctant to even listen to the music because of all of that conditioning, because of my own past experiences with self-identified Satanists whose uh, worldview really, really did not line up with mine. So I was very apprehensive. And then I listened to the music and I'm like, oh, sure, this is about Satanism, but what it's really about is feminism. Feminism through Satanism. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started learning more about the Satanic Temple, which is like using Satanism for activism. So is there, as witches, <laughs> How do you deal with satanic panic in your life? How do you deal with people who want to equate your practice to something we have been conditioned to believe is evil? How do you how do you prove to people that you're just a normal human being who happens to be a witch, uh, or or do you even feel the need to prove it to people? Uh, go ahead, take that and run with it. What do, what do you think? <laughs> Um, I, I like to go back to, um, I Tituba by Marie Conde. Mm. So it's like, it's a fictionalized, I'm using scare quotes, um, mm -hmm. a fictionalized account of the life of Tituba, who was, you know, the black witch of Salem. She mm -hmm. did the Salem witch trial, witch. And in Marie Conde's telling, you know, Tituba arrives in the Americas and, and people are so, oh, you know, you're a witch because she had done herbal healing. You know, she's talked to spirits, things that were totally normal in her life growing up. Oh, you're a Satanist. And she was like, who's Satan? <laughs> you know, in, in Maurice Conde's telling of, of, I, of the life of Tituba, Tituba had never heard of Satan until she mm -hmm. came into this Christian context. Mm -hmm. So I like to think, like, who's Satan? <laughs> who, who came up with this? Yeah. What is this? What is this Satan business? The, the, I'm going to say it gods. I'm not really like a deist, you know, I'm mm -hmm. like a bit more humanist in my magic, but the gods that I worship are older than any, any Satan that mm -hmm. you, that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, with, with the, the satanic temple and then the church of Satan, there are all of these different offsets and, and some of them, you're right. Some of them are just people who are looking to 
put themselves first and fuck everybody else. The devil says, I'm going to, you know, go my own way. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to be around that. Like, good. Yeah. Go, go be hateful by yourself. It's fine. Yeah. But then there's that other side where it's just like, well, we have religious freedom. So if that's true, it's yeah. like just poking, poking at the religious freedom of America. Yeah. Like you've mm. got this cross or this cloche with a Virgin Mary in it, then we should be able to have a Baphomet statue. Yeah. It's all, you know, uh, that part of it, it, it's not religious at all. So mm. if people thought I was satanic, I mean, nobody's really asked me that, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't bother me at all <laughs> because it's it's an invention like anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. You know, when I, my mother's a Christian and when I talk to her about this, this witch stuff, um, I'm like, it, it's feminist, it's transgressive uh-huh. feminism, it's joyful rebellion, it's recognizing that the sun and the moon are much more real than any of the stories that I read growing up, because I see them. You yeah. know, it's not, it's yes, not woo-woo. thank you. It's thank not you. woo-woo. The sun <laughs> and, the, and the moon controls the tide, and like literally everything that we do is thanks to like... soil and decay and so satanism go ahead if you're having fun be a satanist if you're using it for activism to poke holes in like religious hegemony amazing if you are using satan as an excuse to be an asshole well you've answered your own question thank you that (laughs) was i mean this topic has been on my mind a lot lately because I am playing Twin Temple all the time. They're just like my power music right now. And so when I'm playing it around other people and they're like getting into it because it's good doo-wop music. It's good doo-wop music. Like take Satan out of the equation. It's just good doo-wop music. So people will hear it and they'll be like, this is really good. Who is this? I'm like Twin Temple. They're my favorite band. And then the next thing is, uh, the next lyric is like, um, Lucifer, you're a much better kisser than Jesus. And they're like, what's that about? And I'm like, oh, they're Satanist doo-wop artists. You know? <laughs> but it's really I, caused me to re-examine things in the same way that I re-examined the word witch. And this is something that I think people have a hard time with. They ha- Sometimes we can learn a concept and we're like, oh, this concept makes sense to me but then we have a hard time applying it to anything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have a similar reaction, like, who's Satan? I don't know. Yeah. I thought Satan has never been a part of the picture for me. But I do think about, like, you know, Satan kind of classically has this association with the planet Venus. And mm. I like the history of these, you know, priestesses to Inanna, who are these, like, trans visionary geometers like doing the kinds of geometry that would only come about in the western world 2000 years later who give us the first charts of the stars who who map venus's movement and show us that that she makes this like gorgeous spiraling pentagram in the sky like you know and then the church comes along and you know originally tries to you know crush what they call heresies first by associating them with gay sex and being like these mm-hmm. these these her- heretics are gay and so they all need to be murdered it's like the the invention of of homophobia and the invention of like a, a an identity in that way too is this othering by the church and it happens mm-hmm. at the same time as the invention of whiteness right like it's like mm-hmm. oh we are this so that we can justify slavery comes about mm-hmm. at the same time as the you know the other aspects of the inquisition that went on to torture women and people with traditional knowledge and to make their traditional knowledge illegal. Like Satan is the same tool for othering that was that was used throughout all of those different pieces that was slapped onto all of those people. And so fuck hail Satan, because we're so many more of them than than there's so many more of us than them. Right. Like we've all been branded with this this brutality and now we're all together. And so if we want to laugh and take on the term witch or take on hail Satan, then fine, fun, you know, but I don't worship Satan. I talk to, <laughs> I, I talk to trees, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't give a I, shit about Satan. I have to do one yes and here, Risa, and that is that um, the devotees of the temple of Inanna at this time in, in ancient Mesopotamia were required to cross-dress. 
<laughs> it was a requirement of their devoteeism to to use that term um because they weren't doing drag per se but to to dress in the opposite gender it was a requirement and so, so we see we see what happens as history gets you know yeah so let's just remind everyone trans people have always existed thank you and we'll go on uh- <laughs> Um, you two, I'm assuming in collaboration, have written some books together, Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic and New Moon Magic. And coming in September, you'll have a book um, titled 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment. Can you give us a little sneak peek of this? And, you know, the... I just, I'm so passionately (laughs) anti-capitalist these days, which is such a dichotomy. It's such a tightrope to walk. As a person who objectively enjoys a very privileged lifestyle, um, which I reconcile with myself of knowing the fact that I worked pretty much my whole life to get here. And I reconcile that with, you know, practicing generosity as much as I possibly can so that I can go to bed every night and not feel like I'm just taking, you know, I want to make sure I'm giving as much as I take. That all said, as a, as a successful drag queen, I am fervently, fervently anti-capitalist or at the very least, I want everyone to be questioning capitalism way more than we've been conditioned and um, brainwashed to do, you know, it is something we have to kind of find for ourselves. Um, Cause then once you figure out we've been lied to about a lot of things, you kind of then figure out we've been lied to about almost everything. <laughs> and capitalism is a big part of that. So why don't you give us a sneak peek of your book and tell us where anti-capitalism intersects with um, magic and witchcraft. In both of these books, we ended up doing this thing that came out of collaborating and came out of being friends and sort of tricking each other into writing a book where, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it combines what is like sort of pretentiously called memoir, but is really just like, uh, we really believe that the personal is still political. Like we still have to situate ourselves and tell you honestly, you know, where we are at in this stumbling practice of figuring out anti-capitalism or meeting it at, at the meeting place of magic or what those things look like. So we're really in these stories and they're really personal. And then in, in new moon magic and in missing witches, we tell these stories of these women, queer people, traditionally marginalized people who have been fucking magic and the way that they used tools of magic to change their lives, to claim resistance and to re-enchant the world. Like, so we're both interested in the idea of resisting capitalism. And that doesn't mean, okay, if you're anti-capitalist, it doesn't mean that you're like against small business. Yeah. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like giving corporations personhood. Like that's fucked up, you know, like a corporation shouldn't have more rights than a child. That's stupid. Fuck that. You know what I mean? We've built all these laws into place that remove us from our potential to create communities of care. And so we want to both resist the chokehold of the death cult of capitalism with stories from magical people and the tools that they've used and imagine a re-enchantment. We want to like be deeply invested in the power of imagination. Amy once said to me, I think it's not about like post-colonial anymore. I think it's about pre-utopia. And that's been like a touch point for us, right? Like, Uh can we be invested in a future that's possible that's positive and who is who is conjuring that future you know like writing about afrofuturist storytelling or afro jujuist or african futurist storytelling like that is a conjuring of a future that i want to see and believe in and be part of or telling you know stories of people like amy amy writes about buffy saint marie when we talk about music magic sonic Mm -hmm. magic like people who have conjured a vision of the world so those are sort of some of the stories that are in that book and why we think that there's an intersection between witchcraft and anti-capitalist work. Yeah. And and we really, it was really important to us in the sort of, we, we don't care how you get into witchcraft. You know, mm-hmm. we, you, you, if you come at it from 
the craft movie or the recent reboot of the craft movie like that, you know, <laughs> it's all the same to us. But we we just want people to understand that you don't need to buy anything. If you yeah. want to do magic, you don't need to eat. I mean, if you're going to, then sure, go to your local witch shop and, and support <laughs> them. And we love that. And we we do. We own those things, you know, little mortals, mortars and pestles and so on. Yeah. You don't have to go and buy a shopping list of things to call yourself a witch, to practice witchcraft, to be witchy. So the tools that we talk about are, and you know, the, a cauldron comes up and so on, but the tools that we talk about are like dance and music and geometry and, and the written word and all of these things that are, that are free and accessible for anyone to dig into at any time. Yeah. Or free. <laughs> that is, um, you know, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the practice and, um, you really reminded me of a time in my life. In my mid-20s, I was dating someone. I'll leave them unnamed right now. <laughs> um, but uh, we were dating, and uh, they practiced witchcraft. And I had said, you know, like, oh, I kind of self-identify as a witch, too. This was at the very, very beginning of my journey. And it was like, I'm trying to practice some witchcraft in my life, too. And so they were like, oh, let's go get a couple's tarot reading at my favorite witch shop. And we had a great tarot reading and I loved the shop. So I'm buying stones, which was my which continues to be my um, probably my number one form of practice is just going. I have and uh, now fans are giving me stones as as gifts because I've been so vocal about this and. It makes my bags really heavy. There was one time where I was like, how did this bag gain 10 pounds? Oh, I have a huge bag of rocks in it. Um, <laughs> but it's lovely because not only am I getting new stones, but they're imbued with the energy and the love from the fan who gave it to me. And I really, really love that. And they become these physical artifacts of metaphysical sentiment and emotion. So, um, you know, that's how I started shopping at the witch shop. And then I was thinking, well, if I want to get a little bit more serious, I guess I'm going to need a cauldron. I guess I'm going to need this. I was buying a tarot deck. I was buying this and that and this and that. And then it was when I went, okay, now I need to get a dagger. And my partner at the time said, are you taking this seriously? Or are you just buying stuff? And it was very confronting. And I realized, yeah, I was just buying stuff. And from that moment on, I tried my best to become a lot more mindful and practicing it in the way that actually works for me and focusing on the things I actually resonate with rather than telling myself, because this book says you'll need a dagger on your altar. That's like, yeah, that's maybe if you're reading a book that's like Witchcraft 101, you want to hear what like textbook witchcraft is. But every witch that I know in real life is a holistic practicer of witchcraft um it's not something they plan or really like regiment in their life other than creating rituals that work for them and then otherwise it's just kind of like i go with my gut most days of like and as i've said many times sometimes my therapist will recommend something i need to practice in my life and then i find a spell that corresponds with that and that begins the practice of that self-care in my life. So um, are there any uh, uh, tips, tricks, and insider knowledge for practicing witchcraft that you would like to share with my listeners? <laughs> um, when you were talking, I was thinking about um, Scott Cunningham. Um, you know, author of like so many of the great books on magic um mm -hmm. never outed publicly died of aids um had this sort of heartbreaking rift with his family possibly because of magic possibly mm -hmm. because of who he was um but the one of the very first quotes we ever shared on our like little baby instagram when we were like we're gonna be a podcast was scott cunningham saying um, the stones that wash up on the shore are as powerful as any gems you can purchase. Mm. And so like, yeah, you know, buy the rocks that speak to you, 
definitely rocks that are given to you hold mm-hmm. a magic of love for you. But you can find and you should feel empowered to find and to feel connected with elements of the natural world and of the built world around you that that like mm, I'm like shaking that like <laughs> that like shake with you that like mm-hmm. resonate with you to use the new agey term you know like as an as a as a beginning practitioner all by yourself w- still going to your church nobody needs to know like put a rock on a shelf and like mm-hmm. hold it when you feel afraid talk out loud to it start to build a relationship with a single plant like do do your research get to know what that plant one plant is that makes you feel good you know like rub a little mm-hmm. bit between your fingers sit with it listen to it like develop relationships one by one with things that are around you with a quilt like that is all witchcraft one of the first spells amy and i did together we were laughing. We were like, you know, the goddess forgives. Like the the mm-hmm. spell had this long list of shit in it. We did not have any of those fucking things. <laughs> you know, we just went around our house. We were like, the goddess forgives. The goddess likes sparkles. The goddess likes what is this? Oregano. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we were laughing and we were making music and we were like letting joy enter our bodies. That's why dance is such powerful magic. Like mm-hmm. just like put a little extra in your kitchen vibes you know in your kitchen ballet you don't have to dedicate it to Hecate it doesn't have to be a specific goddess worship you can just dedicate it to your house like your house is a being that is in relationship with you that's full of your memories that keeps you safe you can find magic in your body and in your practice and in everything around you without getting Satan involved at all I promise (laughs) wonderful (laughs) Uh, I definitely like I want to reinforce that to like shop your house you know my my favorite cauldron is my big soup pot yeah so, and I call it my cauldron because you know that's where I make my magic potions and yeah. um I have like this like sword thing kind of you know like a bit of a dagger I guess but uh-huh. it was like a letter opener of my dad's <laughs> Like, you know, stuff like that. And, and, and really just like bringing it down to the most basic things that we take for granted. One of my favorite spells is a deep breath. Like, yeah, it does so much, but it's a conversation with the universe. It's a conversation with molecules. Who knows what's keeping them apart? Who knows what separates me from this chair that I'm sitting on in a breath? A big one, it's a, it's a, it's a spell. It's a conversation that you're having with the universe. And to me, it's one of the greatest, also something that Risa and I say all the time, another one of the greatest spells that is free financially, but not necessarily free spiritually or psychologically Mm -hmm. is to tell the truth, tell (sighs) the truth and watch the world change. We say that all the time. Tell the truth and watch the world change. See what happens if you're in a safe environment and just like tell the truth about what you're feeling, about what you're thinking. Watch the world change around you. If you can, we've talked to so many witches. I mean, at this point, Risa and I have interviewed two, 300 witches, something like that, you know, and in our coven, the numbers, the numbers get bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so much of the talk is just about like finding that agency, that willingness to take up space in your own life. Like, what were you put here to do? Take up that space. And and I mean, again, like Jinx, th- thank you for existing. You're such a perfect example <laughs> of, of, of anti-capitalist success. Where well. <laughs> honestly, because we know those of us who n- know your work and, f- and follow you, you say all the time that your success is a result of your community, of your your platonic soulmate, you know, um, of the work that you do together to create this this Jinx Monsoon thing. And again, that that's the magic that y'all are creating. And when we work together, like maybe if you had been on your own, you know, maybe Jinx Monsoon wouldn't be on fucking Broadway. Right? <laughs> Listen, you know? I've I've always had a coven, and I. 
We might not have always called ourselves a coven, but it's always been there. Whether it's been my community or my inner circle, I have always felt, especially after coming out, I have always felt a part of a group. And I have built my own group. I also have different groups for different occasions, you know. But yeah, I don't like to do anything alone if I can help it because I feel like, like you said, so much of the magic is from collaboration. And then I think of Madeline Miller's book, Circe, which has been a huge inspiration in my life, in my own practice. Um, Circe has always been a favorite character, a favorite um, deity of mine. But um in Madeline Miller's book, Circe, I, I, I'm misquoting, I'm paraphrasing, but there was something about the magic comes from the toil. Like the work that she was putting into her magic was giving her magic power. And the harder she worked at it, the more powerful the spell, enchantment, or potion was. And I am a workaholic. I love working. And I've built an amazing group of individuals who all help me do my work at the best of my ability. <laughs> and I feel extremely powerful for that. And I'm feeling very powerful these days. And I know that the magic I'm experiencing is coming out of the hard work and the toil. And I think we hear the word magic and we've, we've been conditioned to believe that the idea of magic is we snap our fingers and something is fixed when the reality is you put a lot of hard work into it and after time and repetition and ritual and practice is when you see the returns. So if you're looking to magic to solve a problem like a band-aid or like to snap your fingers and fix a problem, it's really not actually like that. It's more about putting in the work on yourself, putting in the work to your environment, um, just putting in work and the magic comes from the toil. <laughs> I think like to go back to your point, like magic comes in collaboration, in collaboration with your people and also, you know, your plants, your materials, your labor. Mm -hmm. And we, I think a lot about, um, Loretta, the Death Witch, in, in an interview we did with her uh, for an early Samhain special, she said, there is no mundane. This whole idea that like you do the mundane and then you do the ritual work or the magical work is, is an illusion. There is no mundane. Every mm -hmm. step every step along the, the way, all of the mundane work is magic. Like I, for me, the, one of the more like potent moments of a spell working my kid had been sick forever. My kid had asthma and allergies and her whole body was covered with eczema. She was just a tiny baby. We had to keep her wrapped up all the time or she'd claw her face. She was bleeding all the time. Aww. We were just like a puddle of anxiety. We were just, we were just so traumatized. She, she'd been, uh, she'd been sick from allergies. We'd had to do the EpiPen, you know, she wasn't even two mm. yet. We were just so freaked wow. out and, and we saw um, a doctor here who was like, okay, yeah, I, do, I can no longer, you know, her eczema is past what I can do. I'm going to recommend that you see, you know, this doctor and then they'll give you a referral for this specialist and you'll probably be able to see them within a year or whatever. And I'm looking at the baby like tied up and wrapped up and I'm just mm -hmm. like weeping, feeling so disempowered that it could take this long, you know. And so she mm -hmm. and I were home. And I was, I put her on the couch and like was singing and dancing for her, trying to make her laugh and gathered everything in the house that was red. Talk about mm -hmm. shopping your house. Like Amy just mm -hmm. said, I gathered, you know, red candles and red things. And I was just like trying to be silly to make her laugh. But I was like calling down that Martian energy. Like I fucking need your help. Like I need something to move now. Like I can't mm -hmm. wait a year. This kid cannot wait a year, you know, like, so take this, I don't know, this red blanket and this cinnamon and this other, this bronze thing. Like I brought them all together and was like, just bringing that energy together around in front of her and with her. And the next day we went to my mom's and I had her strapped on my chest and I was alone and she was crying. And I saw 
almost hidden completely out of sight on the corner of the fridge was the card with a phone number on it for a pediatric care specialist who I had met when I was giving birth. And that that's who I needed to, the first referral I needed, the, the mm-hmm. appointment that would take three months or whatever. Like that's the person I needed to see. So I called them crying and was like, mm-hmm. I, I, you, 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 you know, you were my doctor when I had my kid. I know you're not my doctor anymore. I just need someone to get the referral for the next step. Like she can't take mm-hmm. this anymore. They took me the next day. Then we went home. We got a call the next day that someone had just canceled. So we were able to see the specialist 48 hours later. What would have been a year was all done within like three days. We got in line to get the appointment for the one doctor. And sh- and there was a person in front of us being a dick to the receptionist trying to get an earlier appointment. Mm-hmm. And he left. And so the receptionist was like, I actually do have another appointment. Like, you can have it today. I just want to give it to that guy because he was being an asshole. <laughs> it was like... This is this is blowing my mind because this is exactly what I see. This is like this is what real magic is. Yes, it's. I think when we let go of the fantasy of shooting lightning out of your fingers or levitating, like wouldn't that be lovely? That would be amazing. But when you let go of that fantasy, what real magic is is actually a lot more astounding because it blows your freaking mind. It blows your mind that sometimes, you know, it's not a foolproof plan. Nothing is nothing is certain or foolproof in life. But when it reminds me of Amanda Palmer's book, The Art of Asking. Yes. And The Art of Asking, you know, we can apply this to you asking the pediatrician for help, to you being kind and asking for the sooner appointment versus that guy being an asshole. But it's also about asking just whoever's listening. Sometimes I say, because I've lost family members and I know there is energy surrounding me. So sometimes when I am having the hardest time, I say, whoever's looking after me right now, can you please see how desperate I am and help me through this moment? You know, um, I, I, I was crying walking down the street fairly recently, just kind of stressed about things I've got going on. And I, I invoked Hecate. I invoked, um, who do I always invoke? Hecate is always there. Dionysus is always there. Um, uh, Hera, Hera, I resonate with. So, and what I want to say to my listeners is I might invoke these names, but these names mean something to me. So what I'm invoking is the feeling behind the name. What I'm invoking is the emotions that are tied to the name. Um, and and then I said, and anyone who's watching after me, anyone, and I'm mostly talking about my grandmother there, but, um, you know, just whoever's got my interests in mind, now's the time I could really use a little extra energy. And um, one last thing I want to show you while I both I have you both. This has been one of my new favorite practices is uh, drying flowers um, just to have them to look at. And so all of these flowers around the house were given to me on opening night of my opening night of Chicago. And so these thrown upon the stage. (laughs) Some of them were thrown. uh, Many of them were sent. My friends were being so sweet. Um, and I, uh, you know, I kept every flower I, w- I, I was given on opening night. And since then, I bring them home, I hang them upside down and I dry them. And I, then I look at them and I think I am just surrounded by the love and energy of people who watched me essentially ask the universe for the opportunity to be on Broadway. And it took 10 years, but here I am. And I'm happy now that it took 10 years. I was bitter and resentful back then. But right now, at the current point I'm at, I'm like, oh, thank God it didn't happen any, any sooner. I might have felt ready, but I wasn't. I was a, I was a mess emotionally. I um, you know, was an alcoholic. If it had happened sooner, there probably not, wouldn't have been longevity. But now I feel like this was the first step in a direction I'm heading. And I think a big part of that is having learned to be patient and wait for when the time is right and just 
continue to ask, but not be too disappointed when it doesn't happen right away. <laughs> yeah. And I really, I really want to like thank you and underscore that when you said like whoever's looking out for me right now, like a lot of people are like, my ancestors were fucking assholes, or like, yeah. you know, my grandma was really mean to me or abusive. Like, I, I'm not calling these. But you just, you can let that all go. I love, like, whoever is there for me right now, I don't know your name, maybe you're my great, 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 great grandmother that I've never even imagined. But yeah, just like letting that, that like focus go and just allow yourself to be helped by whoever is listening. I'm taking that and putting it in my pocket. Yeah, because you just said something really great that I hadn't even thought about. Um, you know, I'm starting my own. Um, I'm going to say that I'm starting my own journey on ancestor veneration. Sorry, I walked away. I'm starting my own journey on ancestor veneration, and um, I've got a I, I've got a stack of zines from Catlands in um, Brooklyn, which is a witch shop and bookstore. No, um, no, and what Catlin, I love about these, yeah, <laughs> what I love about these zines is they're they're short little. You know, they're very accessible things to begin your journey on something that's probably a much more heavy topic than what can fit into 10 pages. But how great to have an option for a a soft beginning on something. Um, So with Ancestor Veneration and my beginning, this journey is kind of like, yeah, who I don't know who's in my bloodline who might have also been queer and might have also practiced witchcraft. And I don't know that I will get to know those people, um, you know, there's only so much we can do if, if someone wasn't in your family, keeping track of these things, but the open-mindedness to the possibility is enough for me right now. (laughs) I just want to add, since you mentioned Catland, if any of your listeners want to support them, they just had a flood. And uh, yeah, and they're they've been going through a really hard time prior to that. So if you want to go support Catland Books, you can buy. If you check out Saint Jane on Instagram, um, she's this, they are this brilliant, brilliant researcher writer about kitchen witchcraft traditions going back hundreds of years. They have incredible stuff for sale. Catland, you can just support badasses in our community if you feel like it. Absolutely. I did not know about the flood. I was just there recently because we filmed a segment there. Um, I got to tell you, they have elemental incense sticks, um, earth, fire, water, air. I'm an earth sign, so I bought a lot of earth, but air. Oh, my gosh. It is the best incense I have ever smelled in my life. And I'm an incense junkie. I I don't, I have to go back there. If I can, if I can help with the flood damage by buying every last stick of air incense they have, I'm going to. We have had such a wonderful conversation. I am so grateful to both of you being on. Um, I'd like to give you a moment to plug anything, promote anything you're working on. We've talked about your books. I hope all my listeners who are interested in these topics will go, um, go, uh, uh, go on a binge of the Missing Witches podcast. Um, Anything else you'd like my listeners to know about? um that's a super sweet plug yeah come hang out hang out on the podcast missingwitches.com has all the information it's our new snazzy new website so if you find a broken link you win a dollar no i'm just kidding you don't, <laughs> don't win anything no um and we have a coven so and our coven is like the most i don't know radically embracing kick-ass international coven of women, men, queer people, trans people supporting each other in all of their wide range of practices from, you know, uh, all of their traditions from all over the world. So if you've been looking for a coven home, just know we've been missing you. You are the witch we've been missing. (laughs) (laughs) So go go to our website, buy our books, Missing Witches, and coming in September, New Moon Magic. Missing Witches is already out, but you can pre-order New Moon magic now if you want to join our coven check out our website think about writing for our zine jinx you were just talking about like 
you know, what a wonderful place zines are for just like little bits and bites. And so we're doing an online zine now with exactly that in mind. If you are a witch writer who is scared to publish, like we're really, really nice. <laughs> and we'll we'll give you a platform for like your your for your first jump into those waters. But yeah, missingwitches.com. Everything is there. I love it. Thank you both so much. Happy Lupercalia. Happy yeah. we're recording this on Valentine's Day. Um, so happy Lupercalia season to everyone listening. <laughs> I have compulsory questions that I ask every guest. You may answer them however you feel. Um, I want to hear from both of you for each question. Here we go. First question, who is your celebrity crush today? I want to answer that now because um, I listened to the podcast, so I was expecting this question, and I'm <laughs> going to be super opportunistic. <laughs> and I'm going to say my longtime celebrity crush is Raja Sutan. Ah. Um, if you are talking to Raja, tell them there's like a woman in her 40s who lives in the woods in Quebec who grew out her gray hair because the literal coolest person in the world said that it was okay. So I yeah. I love that. Raja Gemini. And if my husband Michael's listening, take that message to heart because he looks so good when he lets his gray hair grow and it's not gray, it's silver. It's beautiful. It, and your hair is gorgeous. And I think it's so unique. It's so special that our bodies change over time and take on new forms and we should embrace it. I mean, of course, you got to love who you who you see in the mirror. So if you hate your gray hair, you're just as you're just as you should feel just as empowered to dye it as it as you do exactly. to grow it out. Mm -hmm. But if you are someone who likes your gray hair and you're dyeing it for reasons outside of you, yeah, take some inspiration yeah. from Raja Cap Gemini. <laughs> Cap Capitalism wants us to hate ourselves. It's yeah. very profitable <laughs> when you hate yourself. So yeah, love yourself. Deny capitalism. Okay, I also love Raja, but I'm going to say Rihanna. I'm going to say it was, uh -huh. the, it was the big Rihanna concert this week. And it was like, first of all, just... I love her. I love how fucking cool she was in that moment. There's no costume changes. There's no bullshit. She's just like, she's in runners. Her body is glorious. And she's just like kind of casually winking and then singing the most badass. And then as someone who has had the opportunity to have a human inside them and also have the opportunity to feel everyone's judgment and pressure and assumptions about what you can and can't do in that body, it was like a fertility goddess moment. Like she was like in the it was air. so brilliant. <laughs> with the bump, just like, yeah, fucking I can do anything. Like string me up a thousand feet in the air, take a million pictures, five million people tune in just for me, aside from the 11 million people who were already watching. And she was just, anyway, I had a big crush on her and, and her plastic red boobs in that moment. <laughs> It was incredible um, because, you know, I have no connection to the Super Bowl whatsoever. And it was really hilarious because um, we had it on on any TV available backstage at Chicago. And everyone was really invested in it because there is a, a lottery for a, a lottery that everyone plays and the cast and crew so that there's something fun about the Super Bowl, even if you don't like sports. And so some people won big money backstage because uh, <laughs> they were playing this lottery game. But what I cared about, of course, was the halftime show. And there was a, um, a moment I was watching between scenes. I'm just watching Rihanna walk from one end of that platform to the other end of the platform. And we all stopped what we were doing to just watch her walk. And I said, have you ever seen someone in command so much power just walking? Just walking. Like she was so incredible. And I don't, I'm not even a pop music fan. I just love her as an entity. Like she has been, there's a picture of her in bed eating caviar with a spoon that is probably one of my favorite pictures. She's got nothing. She's not putting caviar on anything. And she's just eating caviar in bed. And I thought, God, I love this powerful woman. 
<laughs> Next question for you. Um, are you spiritual? I feel like this is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> so if you just want to say yes and move on, we can do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spiritual, yeah. Yes. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, okay. Final question for each of you. What is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, my typical karaoke move is to open the, like immediately put my name in, open the book to like find a song that I know the words to that I've never sung before and immediately put my name in, like break the ice as soon as possible, get in the list, like sing something terrible or sing something amazing. I have at uh, my best friend's wedding, hi, Sarah Marie, she's obsessed with you. She'll cry that I just did that. I'm sorry. Um, but at Sarah Marie's wedding, I did sing Gangster's Paradise and I fucking slayed it. So, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with um, Downtown by Petula Clark because I, I went, um, you know, when I go back home, I'll go to church with my folks. You know, I'll go it'll make them happy. It's fine. And there was this karaoke event in the church basement. <laughs> and first of all, churches and second of all, karaoke, sometimes they're like weird. Oh yeah. You know, like <laughs> possessive. So there was this one old lady that was like, You can't do anything off this CD. This is my son went snatched off, you know. Anyway, <laughs> so it's like me, I'm the youngest person there by 30, 40 years. But I, I'm a I'm a singer. I used to be a professional singer. So I'm a bit of a karaoke ringer, right? Uh So I get up there. I belted out the best downtown I've ever done in my life. And I got a standing ovation. Uh (laughs) And then you said, joke's on y'all. I'm a witch. (laughs) (laughs) I put a spell on all of them. For sure. sure. Uh, I love that. I am a bit of a karaoke ringer too, which is why none of my friends like to go to karaoke with me. Um, uh, I love Reese's answer because I do a little bit of both. I always put in one song that is a song I know I'm going to nail, but I always put that in second in case my first song is a flop, which is when I do, my first song is always a song I've never sung publicly before. And it's kind of how I test out material that might then go into my repertoire on an unsuspecting karaoke audience who doesn't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> Thank you both for being my guests today. I just, this was such a lovely conversation. Um, I hope everyone listening learned something new. Go to missingwitches.com to learn everything you need to know about Risa and Amy and check out their books we mentioned. Uh, One more time, those books are Reclaiming True Histories of Feminine Magic and New Moon Magic. 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment, which comes out in September. Until then, thank you, Risa and Amy. Thank you so much. Thank you. We love you. (laughs) Hail Satan. (laughs) Take Satan out of the equation. And it's just great doo-wop, people. (laughs) It's just great doo-wop. It's just a great doo-wop. Thanks, Jinx. We love you. Thank you. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. Oh. Mom. To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.